0: Happy Father's Day, amen. Happy Father's Day to y'all. Of gift services, you get those cards for us, please. We got something special here. We want a uh, new life. Say thanks for all the fathers, dads. Uh, We want to give you a little. I think it's a gift card to Lowe's, uh, just to uh, say we appreciate you and um, you are important. We're going to talk about that today, about Father's Day. So, um, th- are they getting those bags? Getting... Okay, yeah. Okay, so I, that's right. Yeah, that's what I need. If you're a father, you're a dad, if you'd raise your hand, please. Please raise them high and, and keep them up till, these, uh, till they come around and pass them out. Please, please. Now, while they're doing that, I'm going to do something very special for us fathers. I'm going to tell you a couple dad jokes. All right. All right, hold on. Hold on. Now, keep your hands up, please. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sundays are always a little sad, but the day before it is a sadder day. Huh? Isn't that good? Dogs can operate MRI machines, but cats can't. Ah, yeah. Hey, five out of four people admit they're bad at fractions. All right, how does a penguin build his house? He glues it. He got it. I got a hundred of these, you want to keep going? Oh, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, okay, okay. Happy Father's Day. <clears throat> now, I'm telling you, I mean this, I was meant to be here today. I was meant to be here. Everybody in new life kind of knows how the story goes with me that when I finish preaching the first time or whatever the last time and then I um, I begin to pray God what do you want me to do what do you want me to preach on next so the last time I preached whenever Doug was in Israel um, right after I thought Lord what do you want me to do and God impressed on me I want you to preach about godly fathers and I said well, it's going to be kind of awkward, you know, to preaching just to the men of the church, Lord, but I'll do that, you know. And I prayed about it, and I just had that just had that in my heart. You need to pray about godly fathers, pray about God, I mean, to preach about godly fathers. I prayed about it, and okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. And then whenever I preach next, I didn't know. And then Doug came up to me a couple months ago, and he says, hey, I want you to preach Father's Day for me. I said, okay, I think God has something for us. So here I am. I want to preach you about godly fathers. Significance over success. Now, uh, I'm a child of the, well, I was born in 60s, so, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, grown up, you know, young man. So I can only go by my recollection. And, and I kind of remember, toward the end of the 80s, into the 90s, this idea, I, I don't know where it was coming from, but I just, I just kind of felt this, this presence was dads aren't needed. Fathers aren't needed. It was just kind of put out there just, I don't know, maybe point my finger at Hollywood, I don't know, but just it was that idea. Society was kind of moving that way. I mean, you would say uh, to somebody, hey, a child doesn't need your mother. They tell you you're crazy. They say, you know, children don't need a mom. They, 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 they think you're a lunatic. But you know what, you can get away with today saying, kids don't need a father for some reason our society thinks that yeah you're right kids can live without a father they don't really need him but i'm telling you we've been duped we've been duped there's a chart there this is from um the fatherless generation a group that put this out another one really good is national fatherhood initiative it said there's an epidemic of fatherless houses And the statistics show that homes without fathers don't do too good. So despite what media says and Hollywood says and experts say, homes need their fathers. Dads, you are important. And so I want to talk about that today. Godly fathers. There's a spiritual attack on the family seeking to destroy what god has instituted and so we really kind of need to step up as not just fathers but you know also men and just christians you know this sermon is really for anybody i might be focusing on fathers but really anybody needs to be godly right to live for the lord now first i want to kind of talk about The good man versus the godly man, or the good father against the godly father. It says here in Matthew chapter number 7, it says, Jesus said, Or what man is there among you who, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, he says this, being evil, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This idea that, you know, even though you are imperfect, you can give good gifts. You can be a good man. You know? You can be a good father and not be perfect. But see, there's a difference between a good man and a godly man. A good dad and a godly dad. Now, I like this comparison here in in the there two different versions here. The first one we're going to read, and Doug always picks on me, is from the King James, which is what, what I read, what I grew up on. So it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and I, and I like the words that it uses. That's what I'm trying to show you. It says, now, he had a son, that's Kish, all right, and whose name was Saul. That's going to be King Saul in the Old Testament. A choice young man and goodly. That's Old English for you. People don't usually use the word goodly. But I like that word, goodly. He's a goodly guy. It says, there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person right? than he. From his shoulders and upwards, he was higher than any other of the other people. So that goodly has the idea of good. Of good. It's, it's a very general term in the Old Testament. It means everything from excellent to appealing to handsome. That's, that's what that word's used. It's used in Genesis when God said he created everything, and it was good. That's that word there. Now, in the NIV, it says this in the same passage. Kind of condenses things down, but this is what it says. It says he had a son, that guy, Kish, a son named Saul. Now, this is how it, it, it translated it, an impressive young man. See, that's kind of combining all that idea of goodly. And see, Because a lot of times they'd say, well, he was a handsome guy, but it was more than just handsome. He was impressive. He was impealing. It says there, and without equal, that's the other, that's goodlier right there. Without equal. He was a good guy. He was a good man. If you look at the characters of a good father, there are um, characters of a good father. Put that up there. Character of a good father. Provides, protects. He loves, he leads. Faithful, compassionate, generous. admits mistakes, confesses sin. That is the character of a good father, of a good man. And if you look back in the life of Saul, when he was chosen to be king in that early part, you can find many of these attributes there about him providing and leading the Israelites to uh, fight their enemies he had compassion on his father because he was out looking for the donkeys that had been missing and him and his, the hired servant would be gone for three days looking for these donkeys for his father that asked him I mean up and down and sleeping out in in the moonlight looking for these animals and he had compassion on his father said hey we need to get back to the house my dad's gonna be worried sick he's gonna he's probably gonna come out here himself we better we better go back to the house and we'll just have to forget about these donkeys he had compassion he had Many of these attributes, even later on when Saul was confronted, he admitted his mistake and confessed his sin. He was a good man. But see, the problem is good isn't good enough. Good isn't good enough. There's a call to be godly, to be a godly man, to be a godly father. And that's the challenge that's put before us. When Paul writes about the account when David was chosen over Saul, he wrote this in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And he said, and when he had removed him, whenever um, God had removed King Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now you might say well man that, you know that's not is that really fair that you know Saul had these strikes against him and and David was favored but you know what we come to find out in 1 Samuel chapter 10 the bible says when god first chose Saul and and Samuel the prophet told him that he was going to be the king the bible says that god gave Saul another heart God gave Saul a chance To be a godly man. But he made a decision. He made a decision not to. So that's our challenge. I tell you, if you're here today, a father, a man, God has given you a choice. He's even given you the chance to have a new heart. It is our decision whether or not we're going to act upon that. So I want to talk about the character of a godly man, of a godly father. You know, a godly father, a godly man, has all the characteristics characteristics of a good father. He provides, he protects, he loves, he leads, he's faithful, compassionate, generous, admits mistakes, and confesses sin. But there's a little bit something different about a godly man. And we're going to look at that. First of all, he seeks God above all else. He seeks God above all else. Now, I am a green, and if you know anything about personality, that means I'm a chill. I uh, am um, 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 I'm chilled. Sometimes I don't even have blood pressure, you know. <laughs> I mean as I'm just I'm just chillaxed. The most work I get is pushing the TV controller button, you know. And I just love chilling. I'm just that's just me. But man, well, you know what? When I get something I want to do, something that's, you know, that I want. Man, I go after it. And so, you know, it really doesn't have to do with personality. It has to do with about the heart. In Psalm 119, verse 10, it said, With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. That's what David said. With my whole heart. Can we say that? Can I say that? He says there in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon said this. He said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not... On your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. In all your ways acknowledge him. Everything you do, everything you, you know that, that, that goes through your mind, your hands, your feet, wherever you go, man, it should be God. What does God want me to do? How, is, is this going to glorify him? Is this what he wants? In all your ways. John the baptizer said there in John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, he must increase but I must decrease. Man, God must be, become more and more and more in my life, and, and what I want should be less and less. Probably my favorite passage is from John chapter 4, verse 34, when Jesus said, he says, he said to them, my food, think, think about that, he said, my substance. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know, it said that most people, Think about food twenty percent of their of the during the day. Right now, most of you are thinking about food, right? You know, when this preacher finally gets done talking, we're going to get us some brisket or some. I think we're going to have us some chili dogs or something like that. I might not recover from that, but we're we're going to do something like that, right? Twenty percent. They said of your time is thinking about eating. People who diet sixty five percent of your time is thought about eating. Now in Jesus' day. Food was so much a part of their life because you think about it. They didn't go down to the grocery store or or go someplace and pull out a frozen meal, you know, pop it in the microwave. All that had to be done. Every day they had to think about food. Whether they were harvesting it or storing it or preparing it for a meal, their day was about food. And Jesus said, you know what? My food... That the thing that's on our minds all the time is to do the will of him that sent me. Man, can I say that? I tell you what, you, only a godly man, only a godly father, only a godly per- person can say that. To do the will of him that sent me. You know, God's got you here for a purpose. God should be the first thing in my life to be a godly man second i need to lead others to follow god need to lead others to follow god you know we're, we're doing a men's bible study and uh, all the the men that are on this video and the man that leads it are all navy seals it's called common men uncommon life and they have a motto it says to know god and to make him known that's their motto to know god and to make him known They say leadership is influence. The kind of leader you are and the kind of leadership you have is the kind of influence you have on people. If your kids do things only because they're afraid of you, then that's not much influence on them. That's not much leadership. When they get out them doors, I'll tell you what, they ain't going to be following the kind of life that you live. That's the only kind of leadership you have in their life. I mean, there's sometimes, you know, a little fear helps out. Trust me. But that shouldn't be the only factor that makes your kids obey. Leadership, your influence. What kind of influence do you have on them? How much influence do you have on them? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it says there, Moses told them, only take heed yourselves and diligently keep yourselves, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, he tells them. It reminds of the necessity to, to raise and lead our children to follow God. In Proverbs chapter 20, it says the righteous man walks in his, in his integrity. His children are blessed after after him. That integrity has the idea of honesty, right? Uh, another um, term to, to use for integrity is lack of corruption. Lack of corruption. The kind of man that walks after God with lack of corruption his children are blessed to follow in his footsteps. The phrase, as David his father, it's used 14 times in the Old Testament, and it's used on his grandchildren, the, the, the generations that followed him, the kings that followed him through his line, and how they, it says, and they, they did that which was good in the eyes of the Lord, as David their father. Man, will, will my kids be able to say that? Will, will my grandkids be able to say that? and they did good like their like their um, I'm called Poppy. That's my name Poppy. They did good like their Poppy. They followed the Lord like their Poppy did. And I hope so. In Ephesians chapter 4 it says this and you fathers Paul tells them, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. I mean you can push your children away. You have to be wise. You have to be that type of leader that leads. Leads your children. You know, we're even spiritual fathers, you know. Paul had Timothy and Titus. He called them sons of the faith. You know, as men, there's people looking up to this. We we're, were father figures to a lot of people. How are we leading them? In Titus chapter 2, Paul tells them, he says, in all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. A pattern. That's the word that's used in for, we have type. I don't know what's wrong with this thing. That's the, the word we use for type, for typewriter. It's the idea that when it, whenever that bar comes up, some of you young people don't even know what typewriter is, do you? It's this machine that you have to press real hard on a little thing, and a stick comes up, a little metal stick comes up, and it has like the imprint of the letter that you want, and it, hits a piece of paper with a piece of little like a thing with ink there and it makes an imprint okay it's not like a pen you write in there It, it, it impresses it puts its impression in it that's the word pattern show yourself to be a pattern of good works it's not just something on the surface it's something that's in you you know it said it's easier to follow an example than to follow directions it's easier to follow an example than follow directions. You know, me and my wife like picking on each other. You got to know we are. Um, we just, people sometimes don't kind of look at us cross-eyed because we get going. But we're, we're, we just like to, we like to banter. And, and I love it when she, she gets me and, and we, we just do that. We kind of set each other up. We just love it. So we're driving one day and she says, hey, um, I want to use my uh, map, my map app for because we've got to go somewhere. I was like, sure, babe, go ahead. And she turns that thing on, and the thing comes up, and starts driving, and then this hunky Australian man comes on there and says, turn left, turn right, you've arrived. I'm like, what? what's that? She says, like, I don't know, I guess this is Cam on the phone, you know? I'm like, hey man, let me, I'll change it for you. She said, don't you touch my phone. I said, oh yeah, I'll just put a hunky Australian man on my phone. How about that? <laughs> she said, go ahead. And he's actually pretty cool. I got him on there. He's not too bad. <laughs> turn left. But you know what? When you're driving down the middle of Dallas and they got road construction and they got this and that, and you got the turns and all that, I don't care. His little hunky Australian voice is going to tell you to turn left off the bridge right? I mean, I can't turn left. I'll die. The one time we drove to Manhattan when we lived in Connecticut, my friend Joel I was going to school with used to ride a skateboard at the Twin Towers. And we were going down there to see the kind of memorial. There was still a big hole at that time. Still a big hole there. Look down there and see where the Trains came in down about four or five, six floors down. He said, "You're going to follow me. I'm going to get us into Manhattan. Uh, we're not going to pay any tolls. We're going to go a, a certain way, beat the traffic. I know how to get there." And so, his van was in head, and we were behind. She was probably driving then too. She, she, she could drive. And we were just driving, and we were following him. Followed him all around, man, under all kinds of so trains and going down. And we went into this bridge that he knew about how to get into manhattan that wasn't a toll bridge drove these back roads down through manhattan came down there eventually rode the subway came up there at the at the side where the twin towers were it's easier following an example than follow directions so you can tell your kids you can tell your family you can tell those who look up to you how to live for god but until you live it until you are the example for them to follow they ain't gonna do any good They're looking for an example, not for direction. It says there in Hebrews chapter number 5, it says, For though by this time you ought to, have, ought to be teachers, Paul is, or some people believe it's Paul, others are not sure who the writer of Hebrews is. But the writer of Hebrews is telling them, Hey, man, there's a time. You should be teachers. You, you have been a Christian long enough. You've, you've come to a point in your life that you need to be a leader. He said, by this time, you ought to be a teacher. You ought to be teaching others, leading them. He said, but now there's someone who needs to teach you. And he rebuked him for that. A godly father, a godly man, a godly person leads others to God by their example. Three, the third thing. It takes responsibility for what's his. A godly father, a godly man, takes responsibility for what's his. Now, one of those aha moments that I got when I went through CR, we went through the the, the kids part of it, um, the landing. The aha moment for me going through that was when we came about taking that taking responsibility. When we wrote down all these things of all the things that people had done to us and things that that had hurt us, and then we we went to What was my reaction and what did I do? And then I had to say, you know what, this person might have done this to me, but this is my responsibility. You know, this might have happened to me, but this is the choice I made when that happened. That is my responsibility. I can't blame that on them. I made the choice. And that was the aha moment for me. So that's kind of how I word it. It takes, you take responsibility for what? Is yours In first samuel chapter 15 it says then then samuel i'm sorry then saul said to samuel right here's king uh, Saul been a king for a while this now comes down to the second time that he's disobeyed god And saul samuel's about to tell him god's done with you And he says there i have sinned he confessed I have transgressed the commandment of the lord And your words because i fear the people and obey their voice. See the difference between when David sinned, cuz see both both men were imperfect. Saul and David. The difference was in are taking responsibility. See, Saul gave a reason. Saul gives a reason instead of taking responsibility. Samuel the prophet told Saul, God reject you. He's rejected being king. And Saul was more concerned about looking bad in front of the people. He tells uh, Samuel, hey, hey, don't walk away. Walk with me so people don't think that I've been rejected. That's all he cared about. He cared about his image. See, a good man and a godly man are two different things. When David wrote about his sin and his confession, he wrote this in Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 5. He said to the chief musician, he said, a psalm of david when nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, see man he he, he wasn't he wasn't trying to smooth anything over or make it look he, he was just flat out have mercy upon me O god according to your loving kindness according to the multitude of your tender mercies uh, blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin i acknowledge i take responsibility for my transgressions and my sin is ever is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and, and done this evil in your sight, that you may not be found that you might be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother did conceive me. God, that was my fault. I take responsibility. That's the difference between those two men, is the attitude of the heart. The attitude of the heart. Paul says there in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an, inf- uh, than an unbeliever. Another translation says an infidel. This idea of providing, right, taking responsibility for what's mine, okay? So it's not just maybe the bad things I have, but it's, but it's, it's my life. Man, those are my kids. That is my family. That is my responsibility as the father. That's my responsibility. You know, David was flat. I'm, tell, I'm just going to tell you flat. you got some kids out there. Maybe they might not live in your home. That's your responsibility. Fifteen million single-family, single-parent homes. Fifteen million. They said it's an epidemic in America. Fifteen million homes with only one parent. Eighty percent of those are women. single moms, the dads are gone. That's your responsibility. You might not be able to live in that house, but that's your responsibility. You take responsibility for that. They said the greatest thing that you can do for your family is to be present as a man, to be present, to be aware when you're there, you know. Yeah, yeah, a good, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Oh. You're not present. Right? Watching the TV. You're quiet. I'm, I'm watching the game. You got your kid there. Right? I'm guilty of that. Right? We're guilty. We're not present. We're there, but we're not present. We're not engaged. To be aware when you're there be responsible that's your house that was the mother of your children you might not be with her anymore you're responsible responsible that's your responsibility take your responsibility loves the lord all his heart leads others to follow god strives uh, takes responsibility strives to keep himself pure strives to keep himself pure pure is not perfect we said that many times pure is not perfect but it it might be a fact but it's not an excuse all right i can't use the excuse oh i'm not perfect no that's not good enough god didn't accept that strive to keep ourselves pure it says there in philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says let nothing be done through strife I'm sorry, selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Right? Selfishness, conceit, lowliness of mind, that's how it should be. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, says this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such turn away. Paul in verses 2 through 5, 4, lists all these different bad characteristics he talks about people were unholy boasters proud unthankful they were unforgiving slanderers, without any uh, self-control headstrong haughty all this and he says having a form of godliness see these were good people they just weren't good enough having a form of godliness they look the part but deny the power. In Proverbs chapter 28, he says, as he who converts his sins will, I'm sorry, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes, man, that's the key, them will have mercy. Those people will have mercy, right? Forsake, depart, leave, let it loose, let it go, be free <laughs> to your sin. Go, get out of here, I'm done with you. I'm done you being in my life. I'm done you ruling me. Get away. Get out. Forsake. That's what God says. When Samuel came to anoint David, he, he had the father there, um, Eliab, I'm, I'm sorry, Jesse, bring in all the, the sons. And, of course, he sees the eldest son, Eliab, and this is what he says there in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He says, but the Lord said to samuel because he because he he looked upon alive this nice kind of just like saul big strong look the part good guy it says do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because i have refused him that's not the guy i chose the lord does not see as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks at the heart see the difference between a good man and a godly man is the attitude of the heart i'm telling you that's the difference they're both loving, they're both compassionate, they're both kind, they're both faithful. They're all those things, but the difference is the heart. Man, that's the difference. There's one person, uh, William Woodsworth, said this, father, the term father. To God himself he cannot give a holier name. You think about it. No one else is called Messiah. No one else is called Jehovah. No one else is called Redeemer. No one else is called the Savior, but God shares His title Father with us, because He created that relationship. He's the one that created it, and He gave us a part of that. And that is a it's an honor to be a father. How are we living up to that? Amen. Let's go, Lord, and pray. Uh, Lord, we just again come to you and thank you, Father, for your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, that you have created this institute called a father. Um, And obviously a mother, you know, but, you know, that father figure, Lord, that a home needs just as much as it needs the mom. Lord, help us as men to see that we are needed in the home. We are needed to be engaged and active and involved in in our families, whether they live with us or not. Lord, help us to see um, that that you created this institution and you have a purpose for us as fathers and leaders in our homes. Help us, Lord, like I said, to live up to that and to make you proud. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.